0: Our Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 9. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. Amen. Father in heaven, who is enthroned on high, the God of the universe, the King of all your peoples, we gather as your children today, brothers and sisters in Christ, to join our voices and our hearts together, that we might proclaim the excellencies of your name and lift up our hearts to you in sincere and sacred worship. Lord, we pray by your mercy that you would pour out your spirit upon us, your people today. Come, come, Holy Spirit, we pray, that we might see and behold the beauty of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that as the prophet Isaiah said, we might see the Lord high and lifted up. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to inhabit the praises of your people, that you would open your word to us, that we might read and see and understand, and that the gospel might be sweet to our souls. May the blessed name of Jesus lift us up today. Lord, we join our voices and our hearts together now, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud together, Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come, thy will will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give Give us this day our daily bread, and and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to turn there. Because this is a confession of our faith before the Lord, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of your sins. Please hear the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from the book of Psalms, chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Amen. Let's continue to worship now, singing together hymn number one, All People That on Earth Do Dwell. Number one. Time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all. Come on, come on down. Still have a few <laughs> seats. This morning I wanted to share a couple Bible verses with you and then I'm going to ask you a question. But first, let me ask do any of you have chores? Anybody? How wonderful. How wonderful. i had some smiles turn to frowns rather quickly. Um, just at the mention. Well, I want to share a couple of verses with you and pay close attention. I'm going to ask you some questions about chores, okay? This is from the book of Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, and whatever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So let me ask you, as you heard that, it said, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Do you suppose that means that when you get up in the morning, or maybe in the afternoon or the evening, and you have a chore to do, do you suppose it means that you're supposed to be thankful in your heart that you get to do a chore?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: a couple nose and a couple frowns. Actually, yes, you are supposed to. Just as your parents are to joyfully show you what it means to, to do chores that they do. Maybe you don't always hear singing from uh, maybe the shed or the kitchen or the laundry room, but there should be rejoicing in our hearts. And I guess, I suppose what I'm asking you, does it matter how you do what you're supposed to do? Yes. Yes. It absolutely does. Has anybody, show of hands, be brave, has anybody ever had to redo a chore? Uh Because you did it one time and it wasn't the right way. Many times. Many times. Many
1: times. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: We probably all have, right? And why do you suppose you had to do it again? Anybody? Because you did it wrong. Because it wasn't wasn't clean. Because
1: you shoved everything
0: under your bed. You shoved everything (laughs) under your bed. Yes.
1: And you didn't clean up
0: right. And you didn't clean up right. Absolutely. Because sometimes the chores that we have, we try to think of what's the quickest way to make this pain be over. But the Bible says that everything that we're to do, whether it's cleaning up and not hiding everything under your bed or maybe making some sort of obstruction in your closet with everything, maybe the way that you should think about it is, thank you, Lord, that I, I am a little boy or a little girl that has arms and legs and hands that can move, that I can actually do things. Thank you, Lord, that you're teaching me about you by helping me to learn discipline by learning how to do things and be consistent, be dependable uh, to my parents and to others. Thank you, Lord, that I get to live in your world and enjoy a family and people who love me and care for me. And so everything that you do, it says, even your chores, you're to do heartily as unto the Lord. And when the Bible says to do it heartily, it means to do it with, with joy and satisfaction. How many of you have ever done something, you stood back and said, boy, I'm so glad that's over. But I'm also so satisfied at what I did. My work actually was pretty good. Yes, many times.
1: Many times.
0: I think maybe only the choir is getting to see what I get to see today. So I want to pray for you. Because I know there are probably some of you who would say, I hear what you're saying, preacher, but I'm not convinced. And I'm going to pray for you that the Lord would work in your heart and that he would even give you joy this week in, in your chores. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for your blessed word that you give to us. What a privilege it is to hold a copy of the scriptures in our hands, to read it, to understand it, to pray to you that you would help us to know what it means and how to skillfully apply it to our lives and our hearts. And Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and show us what it means to follow you. Even a verse like this that says we're to do any work that we have heartily is unto you and not to men. I pray for our covenant children that they learn this valuable lesson at a young age, that they know what it means to work hard and to have the satisfaction of joy in knowing that they worked. Lord, I pray that you would instill in them a work ethic that desires to work hard, that they would not have their hand out wanting the world to give them things, but that they would rejoice in knowing that as they labor before you, their efforts are not in vain, and that you do take care of your children. Lord, I thank you for our covenant children, for boys and girls who are being raised to know you, and I pray especially for our covenant parents today, that you would encourage their hearts, build them up in faith. Lord, remind them that their labor in the Lord is not in vain, that as they teach our children to know you, that this is an investment in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, if you would please turn to page 787, page 787 in the green hymnal. We're going to read together Psalm 9, page 787, Psalm 9, verses 7 through 11. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 9. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He
1: will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the people to
0: justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. But
1: those who know your name will trust in you, for you.
0: Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. You have an insert in your, in your bulletin for our hymn. Let's stand together and sing the perfect wisdom of our God. during our pastoral prayer time, we have been praying for uh, two of our missionaries, Robbie and Murray Lathrop, and uh, those of you who were able to come this weekend to the ladies' conference, uh, Murray was there to speak. Thank you very much, Murray, for being with us this morning. What a joy and a privilege it is to pray with you and to pray for you this morning. I also do want to pray for our nation and for the countries around the world as we consider and see what it means to be not at peace Um, Are we watching? Are we understanding what is happening before our eyes? Do we see our need and our own greatest need for the peace of God in the midst of unrest? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we may call you us sinners out of all the peoples of the earth that we might be able to call upon your name and dare to call you our Father. Believing that according to your word, you say that we are your children, the sons and daughters of God because of the righteousness of Jesus and none of our own. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you have called us out of the kingdom of darkness and so much darkness that we see around us and brought us into your kingdom of marvelous light. Lord, we pray as we just sang that you would help us to know that the, the tapestry of grace that you are weaving in our lives, that includes sorrows and trials and difficulties and seasons of great pain and question and concern, that all of these things you are sovereign over. Lord, we pray that you would put the tune of your grace in our hearts and help us to sing it each day. There are days when it is harder than others to do that, and I pray, Lord, that you would, by your grace, Sustain us your people. We cry out to you as our God. We know there is no other. Lord, I pray for Robbie and Murray. I thank you for Murray being here this weekend. And what a privilege it is to get to pray with her this morning as we join our hearts together as your people to pray for our missionaries each Sunday. It is a privilege to have one with us worshiping together, lifting up the name of our Savior and praying with and for her and her husband. Lord, I do pray for the Lakers that you would have your hand of blessing upon them. I pray for their safety. I pray for their joy in you. That it would be because of their position in Christ and not because of anything else. That they would be tied and tethered by your grace to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for their marriage. I pray for their work that they are doing. I pray for difficult days when they may not feel like getting up to do what is in front of them. I pray for difficult nights where they can't sleep. And Lord, I pray for your hand to guide them through different seasons of ministry. And I pray, Lord, that you would take care of them, carry them on eagles' wings. May they know what it means to be sustained by the Lord. And Lord, I do pray for grace, that they would give grace and receive it, that that would be part of the the flavor and the aroma of their ministry in Florida. Lord, I pray for those that they have contact with on a daily basis, and those who you providentially bring into their lives to give a divine appointment that they might share the grace and the love of Jesus in the way that they interact and the way they speak. I pray, Lord, that you would give them boldness to share the gospel, and I pray too, Lord, that in the midst of their own weakness, that you would encourage them to know that it is you speaking through them. I pray, Lord, for supernatural energy, that as they feel weak, as they are out of it, as they are frail and as they see their own humanity, I pray, Lord, that you would humble them and work through them even in the midst of those weaknesses. And, Lord, I do cry out to you as your people for the the peace of this world that we live in, not calling for it so that we might have convenience or so that we might not be bothered with the, the tragedies around us, But, Lord, we have, as a country, sent our soldiers into harm's way in many places, and some of them even in our own country. And we pray especially, Lord, for those who are serving in the Middle East right now. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray for God's peace to be upon your people. That even in the midst of unrest and uncertainty, in the midst of horror and tragedies beyond our imagination, we pray, Lord, that the gospel and the sweetness of the Lord Jesus will go forth. Lord, I pray for our soldiers in harm's way. I pray for missionaries who are serving in countries where things are very unsettled and where it seems that a hairpin trigger is just so easily possible to be pulled. I pray, Lord, that you would show yourself strong and sovereign over the details of their lives. And we do pray, Lord, that in the midst of this conflict that you would give peace. And Lord, if it's not in your will that there would be peace in it now. We pray that the gospel will continue to go forth, that the lost will hear of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for sinners. And Lord, I pray humbly before you, knowing that you rule your world according to your plan and that no one can change you and nothing holds you back. Lord, we pray as your people that you would give us grace to trust and to hope in you. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who might be suffering under doubt and worry and wondering, is God really there? Does He really care about me and my life? Is He really concerned? Is He really all-powerful? Does He truly love His people? Lord, I pray that You would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Amos and chapter 1, Amos chapter 1. Our scripture reading this morning is chapter 1 verse 3 to chapter 2 verse 3. Amos chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Hazel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus, and cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Avon, and the one who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. The people of Syria shall go captive to Kerr, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces. I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they deliver up the whole captivity to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, which shall devour its palaces. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because he pursued his brother with the sword, and cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman, which shall devour the palaces of Bozrah. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of the people of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because they ripped open the women with child of Gilead, that they might enlarge their territory. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbath and it shall devour its palaces amid shouting in the day of battle and a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. Their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. But I will send a fire upon Moab and it shall devour the palaces of Kirioth, Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and trumpet sound, and I will cut off the judge from its midst and slay all its princes with him, says the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. The sermon this morning is entitled, The God of the Nations. Last week we began a new series on the Old Testament prophetic book of Amos, The title of this series is Prepare to Meet Your God. Amos is an 8th century B.C. shepherd and tree farmer whom God called out of the field and gave him a devastating message to preach to God's people. He didn't seek to be a prophet. He wasn't trained to be a priest. He was simply called out of the field. He obeyed God and did what God told him to do. As you might notice from our scripture reading this morning, Amos's message was not one of a light-hearted deity who's benign to the afflictions of people, but the roaring of the one true God who said in the scripture passage that we read last week, the Lord roars from Zion. It was to issue forth a warning, listen, pay attention, God Almighty is speaking. You might ask, well, why does Amos say that the Lord roars from Zion? That makes sense. But then in his next breath, he addresses six pagan nations, people who God has not given the covenant promises to, people who were not those whom he had chosen out of all the nations of the earth to be his people. Why does Amos say the Lord roars from Zion and then address these nations? Why does he do it? And if you're a student of the Old Testament, you know that other prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel all address, after their opening message, they all address God's people first and then speak of the judgment that he will pour out upon the nations. Why is it different in the book of Amos? Maybe perhaps it is to win a hearing with God's people who are living in such luxury. Maybe it is to get their attention with thundering and lightning as from the mountain of God when Moses received the law. Maybe it was to remind them that the day of the Lord is near, that he is coming and he will tread out the winepress of his wrath and there will be no one hidden from his heat. Or maybe was it to awaken them from their own prosperous stupor as the people of God, who had been lulled to sleep in complacency before Almighty God, that if the sins of pagans is punishable with fire and destruction, that they too should be concerned for their own adulterous and idolatrous ways, who in fact, any of their sins were not sins that were done in a vacuum, but they are in fact the sins against the covenant of, Perfect faithfulness of God. Maybe that should sit in for just a moment for us, his people, as we so quickly cast judgment on others. Or so quickly understand or think we understand what's happening in the world. God is a patient God. He is long-suffering. And yet we see in this passage this morning in the book of Amos that there are limits to the patience of God. So this morning as we look at this passage and I realize it's a larger section than we typically go through as we think through these oracles against the nations these messages from God that Amos is preaching I want to do so under three headings number one God's silencing message number two the nation's sins exposed and number three principles of the moral law number one God's silencing message. You notice at the beginning of each one, each oracle that takes place, this is a message from God that Amos is speaking, called out of the fields. And he's told, go and preach this message against the peoples. Each time he begins, thus says the Lord. This is a phrase to get the hearer's attention. God is speaking. This isn't man's opinion or someone's pontification. This is God Almighty speaking to his people, and they must listen. And there's another pattern that you see in each one of these oracles as God speaks. He says each time Amos writes, for three transgressions and for four. He says this for each one of these messages. And in fact, if you read ahead in chapter 2, he even says this when he speaks the oracles against Judah and against Israel. This is a significant thing. It's not meant to say that if they had only sinned three times, God would not have brought judgment. He's actually saying something that is a a bit of a, a numerical formula. He's saying because there has been sin upon sin, there are many sins. For three, the cup of wrath was filled, and for four, it is now overflowing. Each nation is being visited by God for judgment because of an incalculable number of infractions. Against him. Psalm 145, verse 8, says this, and perhaps this is comforting to us. And maybe you run to this as you hear such a strong negative message from God as we read this morning. All we heard this morning was judgment, judgment, judgment. God is coming in judgment upon the peoples of the earth because of their sins. And we hear a verse like this Psalm 145, verse 8 The Lord is gracious. And full of compassion. Slow to anger. And great in mercy. What about Psalm 10? Just beside where we read our call to worship this morning. Psalm 10 verses 3 and 4. For the wicked boasts of his heart desires. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked is proud in his countenance. And he does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And then in verse 13 and 14, why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, He will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Is it unsettling to you to consider that God's patience is not everlasting? That he will not withhold his wrath and his judgment forever. These words from Amos are not a veiled threat. They are about a reality that these nations are about to endure. And read your Old Testament. Each one of these prophecies came true. Every one of them. God's judgment was poured out. He did do exactly what he said he would Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, Nebuchadnezzar, after he came to his senses, said, God is God and no one can stay his hand. Do you believe that? That if God pronounces judgment, that you deserve another pass. One more shot, and I'll do it right. God's silencing message He speaks about specific sins and God's judgment as Amos opens his mouth and proclaims God's message to these nations. This is not Amos' information, though I believe he must have studied these countries. He knew what was going on in the world around him as God was preparing him to do this work, this prophetic work. He didn't have intimate knowledge of everything, though, and the actions and motives of the people's hearts. And yet he speaks here as one who has authority because God had called him and given him a word to speak. And only God could speak with this kind of authority in these nations' lives. And only the word of God has this kind of authority to speak in your life. And Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says that nothing is hidden from his sight and especially the things that you and I hope to hide from him especially the things that we hope to hide from other people. He says, I will not turn away punishment. Wrath for sins is coming. I will no longer wait. Fire and devastation are coming from the throne of God, from the judgment seat of God, and it will be sure and perfect and right, and nothing can stop it. What a devastating message and this isn't something that you would have read in a headline and wondered, why is, the, why is the news agency saying this with such negativity? What bent do they have? Why are they twisting it? This was a message from a prophet of God, and he was speaking, and the people were to shudder at what was about to take place. And what was the only response? Repentance. Repentance. So number one, God's silencing message. Number two, the nation's sins exposed. And you'll notice that throughout the book of Amos, there is a poetic structure that's used. Much of it is written as poetry at the time. But the language that is used here is the report of factual things that have happened and that will happen. This is not meant to be metaphorical. As horrible as some of what we read this morning is. This is actually what was happening and why God was sending judgment. God shows through Amos' report his thorough knowledge and he gives a devastating message to the people. He says to Damascus, to Syria, your sins are this, that you threshed Gilead with implements of iron in chapter 1 verse 3. That's not meant to be that you were rough on people or that you were harsh it's meant to be exactly as awful as it sounds. That there were sledges that were used out in the fields and they were used to cut and to separate grain. And what the people of Damascus did was go to the nations whom they had conquered and they laid bodies out in the field and they dragged these sledges across them. And they mangled people's bodies. And he says, for this atrocity I am bringing judgment I am the God of all the earth and I see everything. For Gaza, for the Philistines, he says, You took captive the whole captivity to deliver them over to Edom in verse 6. You didn't spare anyone, you took everyone. And you took people made in the image of God and you sold them into slavery. You did it to make money. You turned the image of God into something to buy and to sell and trade. And you put your hand and your fist in God's face and says, I can sell them, I can buy them, I can trade them, I can kill them, I can traffic them. It doesn't matter. They're only my property. And for that, God says, I am bringing judgment upon you. For Tyre, Phoenicia, they did the same thing. They delivered over a whole captivity to Edom. But then he says in verse 9, you did not remember the covenant of brotherhood which was made. And you might remember from your Old Testament reading that Tyre and Sidon, there was a covenant made in the days of David and of Solomon, and Israel actually never invaded these countries. They never lifted their hands against them, and yet here they did the exact same thing we read, that they delivered a whole captivity over to Edom, a hated enemy of God's people. A cruel enemy of God's people. And they broke their own vows. For Edom it says. You pursued your brother with the sword. You cast off pity. Your anger tore perpetually. And you kept your wrath forever. In verse 11. You didn't let up. You let what rose in your heart. Burn with fire. And it poured out upon the way. That you treated other people. Made in God's image. You trusted your emotions more than you trusted anything else. For Ammon, horribly it says they ripped open the women with child of Gilead that they might enlarge their territory. They were willing to take innocent life and risk life so that they might get more property and make more money. And to Moab, you hated your enemies so much that even death is not enough. You burned a dead person's body until it turned to limestone, he says in chapter 2, verse 1. Let me pause for a minute after reading those horrible things again and ask you, why is there an accounting before God from those who claim not to claim him? Why such a harsh message of judgment for people who don't claim to be Israel, who are not Christians? And aren't there people today, in our day, who would say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in His Word. You can believe that if you want, but don't put that on me. Isn't that exactly what's happening here? God is bringing them to account, He is calling them before His judgment seat and saying, You must answer to me. You will answer to me. That's true. That's why the Word of God says it is a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. Revelation chapter 20 verses 12 and 15. And I saw the dead small and great. Notice he didn't say I saw the dead. Christian and non-Christian. Atheist and God-fearing. He said I saw the dead small and great. Standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And anyone not in the book of life was sent into the lake of fire. I believe that's a real place. In fact, what I believe about that is not as relevant as what the word of God says. It says that they were cast into the lake of fire. And the only way that you weren't cast into the lake of fire according to that vision in the book of Revelation chapter 20 is if your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. And if it was written there, those people weren't cast in. Is your name written in that book? Sometimes we're asked the question or we ask the question, do I know God? Do you know him? The more pressing question, at least according to this passage is, does he know you? Has he written your name in his book? Have you repented of your sins? Have you cried out to him by faith? Do you cling to the Lord Jesus alone? Or are you living a lie and a self-deception that I don't really know God, but I'm playing the Christian game because it's what we do in the South. We go to church on Sunday. We go have dinner with family afterwards. It's our routine. We do it for years. Do you know the Lord? Does He know you? Dear people of God, hear the truth. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, I asked you a question a moment ago. Why is God making an accounting to people who don't claim to know Him and actually who don't claim to be part of His family? Romans, chapter 1. And men, forgive me for repetition from something we talked about last Monday night. Romans chapter 1. You might say, well, there are true atheists in the world today. I beg to differ. The Word of God says there are no atheists. Hear what it says. Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest or made known in them. For God has shown it to them. Can God show anyone anything and they not know it? I read Daniel chapter 4 verse 35. Can anyone stay his hand? The Bible says that there is no one to whom God has not revealed this. We know that he exists. We have an aching in our hearts that judgment is coming one day. Will I be hidden in Christ or won't I? Do I belong to his family or not? Is my name written in his book? God has shown it to them. Can you really claim that what God has shown you, you don't know? I don't believe so. So lastly, we first talked about God's silencing message, roaring from Mount Zion, speaking to the nations. Number two, the nation's sins exposed. And number three, the principles of the moral law. And I say this, Because I believe that these sins that are listed against the nations, they're not listed as covenant violations. He didn't storm into their temples and say, take down these idols. You're not worshiping me the way that you should. Stop observing the Sabbath the way that you're doing it, because they weren't. He didn't storm in and say, you're not worshiping me the way that you should. He storms in and says that you have violated the law that's written in the heart of every person whom I create in my image. I've written it into my world. It is my world, in fact. And you have violated it. And every nation of the world is accountable to Him. Including this one. And including every other one that you see. Romans chapter 2, verse 15. Speaking about Gentiles, Paul says that if they show the works of the law written in their hearts... Their conscience either accusing or excusing them. This law that Paul is talking about is what I'm trying to describe. That it is in each of us. There are people today who deny that there is a base assumption of right and wrong. And there may be very clever and very what seems like logical arguments. But they are false. There is right and wrong. There is a law a moral law written in the code of this world and in the hearts of every person and violating it only sears your conscience. It does not invalidate it one bit. And there's evidence of that here in the book of Amos. He was not calling covenant people to covenant obedience. He was calling creatures made by him in his image to account as the judge of all the earth. This will happen one day in complete fulfillment. It was partial with these nations. But they will stand before him just as God's word says at the great white throne judgment and you and I will be there. And if your name is not in the book, then Revelation 20 is true. Any who are not in the book will be cast into the lake of fire. What are the principles of the moral law? Think about in, in the book of Proverbs chapter 6. And it's a kind of a funny saying similar to the Three transgressions and for four that we read in our passage today. But in Proverbs chapter 6, it says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Now, I believe you could take each one of those and tie them back to any of the laws written in the Ten Commandments. You absolutely could. The point I'm trying to make, though, in thinking about that passage and about the passage that we're looking at today is that there are principles of God's moral law written into his world, and violators of it will be brought to account. So I want to give you six of them from what we read today. And I don't want us to hear them or to think about them as though, well, that's what, how God will judge the world. He won't judge me that way. That's how they live. It's not how I live. Each of us are guilty of these in one way or another. Each of us sin in many ways before our Heavenly Father, but here they are. Number one, people are made in God's image and they are never to be treated as objects to sell for profit or to discard at our whim. They violated it, and God called them to judgment for it. Number two, making money should not be a higher priority than the welfare of humanity. Number three, keeping one's word is significant in the sight of God. Vows to him or to others have weight, and they absolutely are binding. Number four, inconsolable anger deep bitterness and a vengeful spirit and i dare use the word hatred in our hearts is unacceptable before god didn't jesus say you have heard it said you shall not murder but i say to you any who has hated his brother in his heart has murdered him already number 5 dishonoring human life and hurting the helpless will not go unchecked. It will draw out His wrath. And number six, cruel violence that doesn't stop at death is unjustifiable. Those are clearly in the text. I believe they are laws that God has written into His world as part of the moral law that He has given and written into each of our hearts. And do any of these things speak to exactly the the time and the age that we live in now? Yes, absolutely. I think you can see principles here that apply to the times that we live in. Yes, abortion. Yes, human trafficking. Yes, sex slavery. Yes, marital infidelity. Yes, breaking our vows, marriage vows or or national vows, whatever you'd like to point out. Taking a word with someone and then breaking it. There was a time in this country... When you shook someone's hand, it was the same as writing your name on the line. And we give our word and we pull it back and give no thought to it. And there will be an accounting for it, because it's God's standard and not ours. This honoring human life and getting in arguments about words about whether it's an embryo or there's really a heartbeat or not. Do you really believe we will stand before the throne of God and mince words and bicker about whether or not life is there or not? He designed it. Anger against a brother or a sister. And I mean the kind of anger that even though you might not let it out, even though it might not come out in words, it's seen and and it shaped. It shifts and shapes with different scenarios and public situations, whether I will really talk to someone or not, whether I'll shake their hand or smile, or whether I would actually sit down and have a cup of coffee with them or, God forbid, ever invite them into my living room. Hatred doesn't mean you do nasty things. Sometimes hatred is displayed in just genuine indifference. I was reading in the Law of God this week that if your enemy has an oxen that is stuck under a burden that God's people were to go and help that enemy. They were to go and do it not just to those who were the household of God but even their enemies because it was telling of God's law written in their hearts and lastly cruel violence that doesn't stop at death. Do you see the sin creeping in your heart? Do you see where it goes? Do you see the end result of it? If there was judgment brought, would it ever really be enough? Or do you have to burn your enemies to limestone? For all of these things God called the nations to account and to judgment. And I realize this isn't a cheery, happy message But it is a reminder this morning of our account that we will give before God. And next week's passage is is no less severe or significant. As God calls Judah and Israel before him. It's as if the people, imagine people filing before the throne of God. Now you will answer for your sins. Now you will answer for yours. And the list just keeps on going as the people stand before God. And he opens his book. I ask you again. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know him? Does he know you? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your gracious word. That every warning you give is an opportunity and a reminder to us as your creatures, to repent of our sins before you. And Lord, I cry out to you today that you would give the gift of repentance today. That today might be the day of salvation for any who hear and do not know you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would move their hearts by your spirit. That they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, I pray that you would do this for your glory alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by singing hymn number 108. Whatever my God ordains is right. Callie, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of that song and for the balm that it is to many of our souls. That this is my Father's world. That though the oft, though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler. Yet, Lord, I pray that you would help your people to believe that, to remember it, to rest in it. And Lord, we do that now in giving our tithes and our offerings. We're not seeking to hedge or wondering what will happen. We entrust ourselves to you, and we pray, Lord, that you would receive our tithes and our offerings from joyful, cheerful givers who give by faith, knowing that you are the one who cares for us. We pray, Lord, that you would care for our families, our finances, and take care of this church as you have for many generations. In Jesus' name, amen. of our lord from the book of jude now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to god our savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever amen